into Bonanza for this Sunday night at Nicholas Hodel. Nick Keneally is alongside. I think we're still a week away from getting back into the studio live, but for right now, still happy to be in Atlanta Bay in person in this mid-January Sunday as March gets ever closer, my man. Yep, feels good to get just get back into it in person, getting back into swinging things. You know, can't wait to get it live, but, you know, for now it's still talking college hoops, so... Yeah. yeah, yeah, we are very much a week away from that. But for right now, still a lot to talk about as college basketball continues to leave everyone wondering what the heck is going on in this sport. And a prime example of that, the Kentucky Wildcats on a telecast that was opened by headlines popping up on the screen about chaos at Kentucky. A load behold, Kentucky gets a signature win in Knoxville against Tennessee, a 63-56 to final. And a really good performance by several players. Oscar Shivlay back to being a walking double-double with 15 points and 13 rebounds. C.J. Frederick also had a decent game with 13 points. Antonio Reeves, the senior off the bench with 18 points. Really impressive 8 of 8 from the line. Tennessee, meanwhile, had their fair share of issues. But Santiago Fescovi and Unidos Plastic also very good. I want to start by talking about this from the Kentucky point of view. We'll get into Tennessee a little bit. I kind of have my view on how this game is, but this really feels like you get the win here, you get the signature win, get the confidence from this game, and now you can really start to get the snowball rolling, perhaps get a, rack up a few more wins, get a win streak going, convince people that maybe you are part of the top 25 of this sport, and all of a sudden we could be looking at a Kentucky team that is picking up at the right time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is a huge win. You know, Tennessee ranked fifth in the nation, second in the net, second in Kempom. This is such a big, big win. Now, per- performance-wise from the Wildcats, was it a good game? Was it a decent game? Sure. You know, you had Oscar Seabway. He was 6 for 12. He led the team in field goal attempts for the first time since December 10th in their game against Yale, which is something that we talk about every single week. How Kentucky, for some reason, always has two or three players that are taking more field goal attempts than Seaway. They finally, finally got it right now. It was only 12. The load was very uh, split up uh, amongst a bunch of players. Not necessarily a bad thing, I should add to that. Not, not a bad thing, but it was, it was great to see um, them getting the ball down to him. Um, he didn't even get to the line a lot. I mean, three for four from the line. So, of course, he was able to take advantage of his few trips. But um, it was just more of that traditional kind of play style that you'd want to see from Kentucky. And another great thing uh, for them was their 43 rebounds. You know, we talked about the the 13 that Seaway had here. Um, but you also had eight from Jacob Toppin. You had uh, you had six uh, from Case and Wallace. And it was, it, it was 43 to 23. That's the exact split that you want it that you want to get for a big win especially over a, a team that's ranked much higher than you now was it a perfect game from Kentucky no they did have 19 turnovers um uh, which they've had a bit of an issue not as much as some other teams like Duke who we talked about last week having a huge turnover issue this isn't that much of a recurring thing for Kentucky but 19 in a really really important game is not something you, you can really afford to have they shot decently from behind the arc. I, I mean, I would I would hope for better efficiency um, in the paint, which they really didn't have much of. But you have to take that sort of win. I mean, it was it was more of a terrible game from from Tennessee. I think we can go into that in a little bit. But big win for Kentucky. But I, I de- decent performance from the Wildcats. Yeah, and, and the thing to add too in this game is that this does not start out well for Kentucky. There was mm-hmm. an eight zero run for Tennessee. To start this game, and that was the largest lead Kentucky, Tennessee, I should say, had all game long. So for Kentucky, this is this was essentially to take out that eight zero run. This is essentially a sixty three to forty eight ball game. Mm-hmm. So that is something to keep in mind. That's really impressive for Kentucky to rebound from that, particularly for a team that come off a loss to South Carolina, and we're thinking after that, like we're thinking, uh oh. Here we go again. This is not going well. And Kentucky finds a way to flip it around. That is sign number one. That this team can get back on track. Now you gotta now you gotta build on it. I mean, I mean this the thing for Kentucky is the win's impressive at all, but you have to do what you can to ensure that this is not 
a one-off situation, you know? Like, you have to go in to your games, particularly this week, home against Georgia and home against Texas A&M. You need to win those two games. You need to get to 13-6, and six, and then next Tuesday, the 24th, you need to go to the road and beat Vanderbilt. By the way, something Arkansas could not do. And you need to end that game against Kansas at home, 14-6, and six, on a four-game win streak, feeling good about yourself. I think that's the way that this needs to be done. And, uh, and if they're able to do that, get some confidence going, not necessarily to say that I'm going to pick a take over Kansas, that's not happening in a universe mm-hmm. at this point, but you can at least build and give yourself some confidence. Now, as for Tennessee, this was one of Tennessee sports rebounding nights they've had all year. And quite frankly, I will say this, this was by far their worst night of rebounding of the season grabbing just 12% of possible offensive rebounds on their end, meanwhile allowing over 40% on the other end, on the offensive rebounding scale. And their three losses have come in their three worst performances on offensive rebounding on their end of the floor. Something to consider, 25% or worse in each of the games against Colorado, Arizona, and Kentucky. They're three losses. Also, what they've done in those three games is they have had below average, if not putrid nights from three. 27% from three against Colorado, close to 30% against Arizona, which isn't terrible on eight of 27. And then against Kentucky, they hit rock by with a putrid three of 21. So as much credit as we're giving to Kentucky, we need to turn this around and say, Tennessee's offense, what the heck was that? That was pathetic. I mean, yeah, you mentioned that three for 21 from three. Um, and, you know, they're usually a pretty, pretty solid rebounding team. I mean, like a, like a top 20 national team for rebounding. They average about 40 per game. Just to get limited to 23 here really shifted the entire, like, motion of their game plan. Um, and a, a couple other notes here. They, they only got to the line 10 times. Um, to against Kentucky's 25, which, you know, you have teams this year, you know, you think about Providence, a team that gets to the line, it seems like 40 times per game. It's such a big part of offenses now, offenses now and only getting to the line 10 times, and of those 10 trips, you, you, you make seven of those attempts. It's, it's not a recipe for success. Um, and, you know, it just seemed like the entire team went pretty much cold. I mean, you had a pretty good performance from, uh, if I don't butcher this, Euro Plazvich, uh, the the senior seven foot one center, but he he went nine for eleven from the field. You know, all all those all those attempts from within the paint, um, nineteen points, but everyone else didn't really score that much. I mean, you had thirteen from Santiago Viscovi, but that wasn't efficient. He went one for th- one for six. Um, from the three-point line, one of the only three players to at least make a three for the Volunteers. It was just such a cold night offensively for Tennessee. I don't expect it that kind of performance to repeat it, uh, to be repeated. Sorry, like it's it's not something I would be concerned with. They have a fairly easy schedule coming up for the next few games. They can kind of turn it around, but I mean, I, I, this this was just a one-off bad loss. Yeah, and particularly what they've done in the SEC play. And the offensive rebounding stat, let's put some other games at you. The 14-point win against Kansas, like they looked very, very good. They grabbed nearly 47% of available offensive rebounds. Uh, and even in the close games they've had against Maryland, that win in Brooklyn, they grabbed close to 40% of possible offensive rebounds. And then that close win against USC, they grabbed about a third of possible offensive rebounds. So... This 25% or lower mark, I think that's a trend at this point. What we're seeing that when Tennessee's not grabbing offensive rebounds, they're in trouble. And that's just something to keep a very close eye on throughout the course of the season for the Tennessee Volunteers. That then looks like they may have a very, very fatal weakness. And it also looks like the Arizona Wildcats have a very fatal weakness right now. And that's their backcourt. We talked a lot about the Wildcats last week and how... Their issues were starting to appear for all to see after their uh, very struggling week against the Washington schools at home. They go on the road to the Oregon schools, and that is even more evident. After they put together a 12-point win against Oregon State, in which it was a very underwhelming finish for the Wildcats. They had Oregon State 
down 24 points in the second half and allowed him to try to claw back, make it a manageable deficit, not necessarily to win the game, but for it to look decently all right. Then they go to Eugene, and things have fallen completely off the car. The wheels have fallen off the car. It was a disastrous 19-point loss in Eugene in which it wasn't even necessarily Oregon shooting the lights out from deep. It was rather guys like Jermaine Cousinard and Nevate Dali, Dante, I should say, absolutely killing Arizona. Dante from inside, Cousinard from three. Those two guys in particular did a lot of the work for Oregon in this really monumental win, especially for Oregon as they had come off an absolute stinker against Arizona State. They're now really starting to join Colorado as the random number generators of the Pac-12 conference, in my opinion. But just key in on Arizona here. The backcourt, like I mentioned, Powell Larson, just four points and just two shot attempts. One assist, four turnovers. Interesting. Carcresa had nine points and was two of nine from three. Did some decent work with assisting, had four assists and three turnovers. Not ideal, but you take what you can. Also had three steals. So he was able to do some other things when he was needed to, but offensively, still not a great performance. And before we start to really key in on the Arizona guards here, this is a putrid performance. I mean, you go off of the week at home against the Washington schools, this was the very final thing you needed. It's not, I mean, it helped Arizona within the national perspective that everyone else is kind of doing the same thing. But this is an ugly, ugly road loss. Terrible. I mean, and you you, you hone in on this, this Karakrisa performance, the two for nine from shooting. I mean, as soon as conference play really started, he, he kind of just hit a, hit a wall with his shooting. I mean, he started off two for seven from three against Arizona State, three for eight against Washington, Two for eleven against Washington State, and then three for nine and two for nine in the Oregon games. I mean, it's it's just been a a really an indicator of Arizona's backcourt kind of kind of struggles um, as of recent. I mean, he is a player that you need um, to to be able to space the floor out here, and that's just not at all what he's giving to you. He's he's being he's giving you inefficient numbers. He's not. A very like he's not a high playmaking guard. Obviously, he can he can pass the ball, he can make some assists, but that's not necessarily his role out there. Um, and it's just seeming to be more of a, a net negative um, for this team, and especially in that Oregon game when you have players coming off the bench like Kylan Boswell, um, whoever who is able to put up some great numbers, going you know great relative to the rest of the backcourt, going six for eleven and three for six from behind the arc it makes you wonder what is going on with this backcourt i mean this has been an issue throughout this entire uh conference schedule for them and you know it's known oh yeah arizona has you know arguably the best front court in the nation you look at you you look at the the do the duo of uh tubulus and balo um and that's really the sole focus here but you can't have a great front court and then have a lackluster backcourt that holds you back as a team um, and that looks to be exactly their issue here. Um, they can't find the complementing pieces or they have the pieces on the team, but they're not playing as if they wish they were. They're not playing up to the perhaps the game plan that was set out. Maybe it's because of spacing. Maybe it's because, you know, the playmaking just isn't up to par. Maybe there's there's communication issues. But whatever it is, there is a disconnect between the front court and the back court where the front court is taking on so much of a load here. They can't sustain that every single night. I mean, that, that's why you've had some, like, you know, t upper 20-point performances from both Tubulus and Balo throughout the season. But it just it, – the losses keep racking up here um, with two losses that they shouldn't be taking, you know. They shouldn't be losing to Washington State. They shouldn't be losing to Oregon, and yet they are. And I, I, that has to be just fatigue um, wearing down on them as the backcourt can't sustain this type of play. And this issue is being highlighted because teams are figuring out how to deal with Tubulus and Balo. They're really starting to figure this thing out. Neither of these two players had a three-point shot attempt. They're really keeping them down there, and you're really forcing these perimeter players to do a lot of the work, and quite frankly, they're failing at that. And to highlight Larson and Crescent in particular, 
We're talking for Larson now. Five out of the last six games failing to reach the double-digit mark in the points category. And the last time Larson did that was against Washington with 12 points. For Chris, uh, you're looking at a little bit more consistent with the scoring, but the three-point marks are just putrid. In the last six games, from latest to earliest, 2 of 9, 3 of 9, 2 of 11, 3 of 8, 2 of 7, 2 of 5. Some of these are a lot better than others. 2 of 5, 3 of 8, but everything else is just downright putrid. And I wonder with Boswell and Henderson in particular, those two players, particularly Kylan Boswell, with 15 points against Oregon, the team's leading scorer, when do particularly Boswell, but including Henderson in this conversation, when do these guys start to get more minutes, if not starts? Because I feel like Coach Tommy Lloyd needs to take it upon himself and fix this. Because you're dealing with teams, particularly after the game against Utah, but more particularly after the game against Arizona State. Teams are figuring out how to deal with your front court. They're figuring out ways to neutralize both cumulus and follow, which now puts more pressure on your backcourt. And if you're not getting production from your backcourt, knowing that teams are putting that pressure on your front court, not letting them do what they want, it may be time for a switch. I mean, it might be. I mean, in that Oregon State game before their loss, uh, Boswell only played um, about 11 minutes in that one. Uh, and, and compare that to the, the 23 that he played against Oregon where he was able to go out and score 15 points. I mean, I, I think that shows that he's getting a little bit more trust. Um, and coming up this week, you host USC, then you host UCLA, one of the best teams in the nation. So I think USC... That's a game where they really start to kind of experiment. You're in a home environment. It's almost the calm before the storm. Not to say USC should be overlooked at all, but I, this is your your opportunity to start of experiment with who, who you're starting with in the backcourt. I don't know if they go they jump straight to starting Boswell, um, but giving him more rotational minutes um, than, that, than that around 15 mark that he's been averaging. I, I think that's how you kind of ease him into that system um, and depending on how he how he plays, do you start him against UCLA? That could be a possibility if he's able to score with the efficiency that he did against the Ducks. That it, it might just be the best move for them. Yeah, and to go back to the trend we mentioned against with Tennessee, you could also be the case that this was Arizona's worst rebounding performance of the season, allowing nearly forty one percent of offensive rebounds on the defensive end, only grabbing about. 30% on the offensive end, so not quite terrible, but the two-point percentage in particular, putrid. For Arizona, it was around 39%. For Oregon, it was 72%. I mean, that that's a killer right there when you're repeatedly allowing shots from inside. And so, I mean, that, you got to fix that. And, as, and, and again, the trend, the three worst... Performances rebounding defensively and allowing offensive rebounds have been the three losses. And that is very much a big trend of Arizona right now. So that's something you really got to take into consideration when talking about the Wildcats. And, I mean, it's going to be really tough for me to see Arizona coming away from this weekend with a win against UCLA at the point they're at. They're just, if something is off with the Arizona Wildcats, and very much like UConn in the Big East, they're not the same team that they were in that non-conference stretch. It's not as bad as UConn, I don't think, but it's not good for Arizona either at this particular point. Let's move over to a team who has been very much excelling on the basketball court. That's the Marquette Golden Eagles. 1-1 one one this week, but this might be the best 1-1 one one you see all year. Except for the Big 12, of course. It's the Big 12, they're constantly doing this. But... Phenomenal win against UConn. A struggling UConn team, like guys mentioned. But you're really looking at a performance in which Marquette, I mean, they just battled at home and eventually has won that thing outright despite losing the rebound battle. I mean, UConn's big men still putting up some decent work. A lot of things are going against Marquette, but they just found enough to take that game. And then on Sunday... I mean, you're talking about a really tough loss here. Xavier defeating Marquette, but both teams were phenomenal in this game. You're not going to find too many doubts for me on either Xavier or especially Marquette. 
who now is a game and a half behind Xavier in the Big East standings. But you look at a team like Marquette and what they've been able to do with their offensive efficiency that has been really good this year. It's like if Marquette had pulled that game out against Xavier, I think you would have been talking about a conversation within my head at least where Marquette's in the top ten nationally. I mean, this is one of those weeks where people who may not have been paying attention to Marquette quite as much now look at what they did against Xavier at UConn and be like, whoa, watch out here. We got a team that can really compete against the best of the best. Absolutely. I mean, and you you look at how, how these games kind of ended up shaping out a couple close games here, um, but just that, that win against UConn, the way that they were able to, to keep their offense moving, you know, they didn't rebound the, the ball too, like, great, but it was just they were able to put up shots and they were able to make shots, and that that's what's what it really came down to and it came from multiple different players i mean you know ozo it, it, ooh, that's that's a hard pronunciation right there Oso, <laughs> him and then you, <laughs> you have oliver max max sense prosper and then it, um cam jones combining 19 17 and 15 from each of them just a great showing from you know some of their starters and, you know, that's really what it took. You mentioned that UConn has been declining a little bit. Um, they, they had their, their loss uh, earlier, to, earlier on Sunday against St. John's. And, you know, it, it, they're not in the best shape that they are, but this is still a very solid Marquette win. And then you look at the game against Xavier, a very, very close game. I mean, you, lo- you look at the place, how they played. You look at the statistics. This was a very even game. I mean, this, this could have been... Maybe if Marquette grabbed a couple more rebounds or if they made like another three, if one play earlier on in the game went differently, this is a Marquette win and this is a 2-0 and week against two higher ranked teams. Um, and they've just been, they've been hot. I mean, Marquette has been one of those teams this year that keeps pulling off the, these great games. I mean, you know, they had their win earlier this year against Baylor, one of their signature wins. Um, you look at their losses, it's a loss to a good Wisconsin team and a, a game where they put up 98 against Providence. I mean, this is such a solid team here that I can't argue with your fact that, hey, if they won both these games, they could be a top 10 team here. Um, but not even going with hypotheticals, just looking at the face value of this team, this this Marquette team could be a top you know, 17, 18 as of right now with some room to grow here. I, this this is a great, great squad. Yeah, as I mentioned a few points, UConn, you mentioned the loss of St. John's. They are really falling like a... Like, they're just falling off a cliff at this point. But the two freshmen they have, UConn, Alex Caravan, Donovan Cleveland, they were fantastic against Marquette. And it's definitely worth keeping an eye on, on UConn for what it's worth. We can be talking about them next week as our team really in decline. Uh, and for Xavier, I mean, the balance of scoring is just ridiculous on this Xavier team. There's everyone pitching in, and it's so hard to defend that. But you go back to Marquette, Tyler Kolek at 25. I mean, he was he was brilliant for Marquette. And Cam Jones at 12, David Joplin at the bench coming at 11, Uso Ikodero will just go with that at 14, Oliver Maxens Prosper at 10. All these guys all chipped in. And when you see a team like this, Marquette, not necessarily beating everybody, but when you compete with these teams, and when you, when you play incredibly well against these teams, I know there'll be some AP voters who, quite frankly, didn't care about this game, wanted to watch football all day, and, and some people like, Ugh, why, why blame them? But to, but if you want to drop Marquette for your AP poll ballot, that's malpractice in my opinion. Because quite frankly, Marquette should be moving up every single person's ballot. I mean, they played that well in a one-on-one week. Um, it's just so hard to to see a fourteen and five Marquette not in the top twenty five right now because it's just how well they're playing, and they got a big game against Providence coming up. Absolutely, Marquette gets the revenge in Providence, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, and they're they're hosting them too as well. Um, I, I think that they have you know coming off this week all the momentum to you know possibly take down. Not possibly, I gonna make a game pick right here it'll probably be on the graphics this week on twitter but i'm gonna make the pick right here i think this is a game that they beat providence oh yeah i, I absolutely agree with you i mean 
and quite frankly, the the, pro the Providence loss against Creighton, I saw that come from a mile away of just how <laughs> much improved Creighton is in particular. So you're dealing now with a couple of teams that are ones trending up despite a mixed bag of results, and ones kind of trying to fall back to earth a little bit. Providence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a Providence team that you know I do have a lot of faith in. I did pick them getting the win against Creighton. Obviously, that one didn't fall that way. But th I'm not, I'm not even I'm not doing this as a discarding Providence. I still think that it's a, one of the, the top programs here, but Marquette is so hot. There's a there's a there's plenty of great teams that I think at right now, if they if Marquette hosted this this week, Marquette can take down. Absolutely. I mean, they Marquette can beat anyone in the Big East. Absolutely. I mean, I mean they can. I mean, you, I mean, just a few more things go their way against Xavier. They're winning that game at the Cintas Center which is really difficult to do. And I think you mentioned the rebounding a little bit. Marquette got completely dominated uh, on that end, particularly by Jack and Unji. They're going to really figure out a way to neutralize Jack and Unji the next time they play Savior, excuse me. But, I mean, other than that, they were exceptional. I mean, they had a 3-1 to assist-to-turnover ratio. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that in college basketball these days. Eight steals, six blocks... It really doesn't get much better than what Marquette did, and they fell by four to a really good Xavier team. I mean, I mean, I have almost no notes from that loss to Marquette other than get a few more rebounds, figure out a way to deal with Jack Nunji. Kobe Jones as well had several offensive rebounds, and you're going to win that game. I mean, you just have to figure out a way to get past this balanced Xavier team, which we have a few minutes to talk about them a little bit. It, does anybody get it by Xavier? I mean... <laughs> What Sean Miller has done at Xavier, we knew that Sean Miller was a good coach. We knew that. Him going to Xavier, we kind of figured that was a really, really elite move. Oh, my God. You're looking at a team who was in the NIT final, believe won the NIT, if I'm not mistaken, and Sean Miller has come in, and he has completely elevated this Xavier team to a whole nother level. I mean, this is fantastic stuff from some Xavier. I mean, absolutely. That 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 win against Marquette makes eleven in a row, and this is a, a pretty pretty solid eleven. You know, you you played UConn, you played Marquette, you played a Creighton team as it's you know, on its rise. This is this is a great Xavier team, and. It, all props to Coach Miller. I mean, of course, you have to give credit to the players too. Jack Nunji has been playing absolutely out of his mind, but this is this is a very, very, very fun program. Yeah, and if Xavier wins one of their three losses, the game against Indiana and neutral site games against Duke and Gonzaga, on neutral floors in Portland, Xavier is absolutely in the top tier of college basketball right now. Right now, I mean, they are exceptionally good and I mean they're gonna have such an easy week compared to Creighton at home and Marquette at home they have DePaul on the road and poor old Dwarftown <laughs> at home but but after that they go right back into the gauntlet they gave up two more high quality road games so we will definitely be talking more of Xavier next week as they are a program in my mind who is on the cusp of the top tier of college basketball it's Kansas it's Houston Purdue Alabama and then UCLA, Xavier, Texas, they're knocking on the door wanting to get in that top-tier club, in my opinion. Because, oh goodness, this Xavier program, you want to talk about programs making that leap up from a deep run of the NIT to the following year, which typically happens, especially with NIT champions. This Xavier team is a prime definition of that. And I think as we're going to continue to see the demise of the NIT, especially away from Madison Square Garden, Programs should take advantage of the NIT to get some more time playing together, especially if you know the continuity is going to be there. You add a few more pieces of the continuity, you get a Xavier. You get a 22-23 Xavier. And the Musketeers have proven that they are incredible this year. And it's so much credit to what Sean Miller has done. It's an unbelievable coaching job. I mean, he's right up there for National Coach of the Year, in my opinion. I mean, with the, one, with the way he's excelled with the Xavier program, it's phenomenal. But... One program who will not be getting any of the insert word here of the year honors, Wisconsin. And the last three games, they have been without Tyler Wall. And the last three games have been losses, and in some cases, embarrassing losses. Particularly on the road. A 10-point loss on the 7th 
last Saturday against Illinois. A home game Tuesday against Michigan State. Pretty close game. Uh, Michigan State going to Madison and picking up that win. And then you want to talk about an absolutely ugly performance. Wisconsin was, quite frankly, embarrassed against a shorthanded Indiana team in which Trace Jackson Davis was, once again, phenomenal, as per usual. But Indiana had two key senior leaders, and Wisconsin's going to Assembly Hall and dropping 45. I get that Assembly Hall is an incredibly tough place to play, but come on, Wisconsin. Does Tyler Wald really mean that much to you? I mean, that's a joke, if we're being honest. That's a joke, especially considering what Indiana's roster composition is made up of right now. I mean, yeah, just, uh, just the entire team pretty much underperformed. Uh, you had just bad scoring performances throughout the whole team. They couldn't shoot. They got out-rebounded. They, they turned the ball over more than Indiana. They just, it, it was a complete meltdown for Wisconsin here. And, you know, you, you, you're missing Tyler Wall, yes, but that I Tyler Wall doesn't fix all of those problems. Tyler Wall doesn't fix your entire team crumbling apart. I mean, it, maybe it's a testament to his leadership how much he means to his team when he's on the floor. But oh my, what just what a, what a terrible terrible loss to Indiana. And that you know, uh, one of these three losses without him. You know, you look at a, a close game against Michigan State um which they did they got outshot pretty much Michigan State just you know they were extremely efficient in this one um and then a loss to an Illinois team who you know has it's Illinois they completely the the, the bar was set for Illinois and not only did they go under it they dug a tunnel to get under those expectations and Wisconsin still lost by double digits to this team i mean just such a terrible 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 stretch for the Badgers yeah, this, this was a complete putrid performance, particularly against Indiana. And a couple other things just make this even more pathetic. One, a, an almost no-show from Tamar Bates in 22 minutes. I mean, this, was, this was a really bad performance from him. 22 minutes, no points on four shot attempts, only one rebound. So that made for, for 22 minutes. For him being now the sixth man, that's a no-show, really. I mean, Malik Renew had a much better night with 13 minutes than he did, in my opinion. Miller Cop only had three points. In Indiana, they did this primarily with three guys. Could we fill it Jackson Davis, which we're expecting now, but also Jordan Geronimo. His development's going to be interesting to watch for his Indiana team. But Indiana only took eight three-point shot attempts. Only made <laughs> one. So you get the idea now that Indiana knows what they're trying to do. Get inside, attack inside. Great formula for them. They got to keep doing that. But to go back to Wisconsin's struggles, not only did you only shoot 40% from two, you went 5 of 24 from three. And here's the even more disgusting part, Ooh. four of 11 from the free throw line. I mean, they did everything you cannot do on the road in the Big Ten. This is a, it's disgusting. And to get to the more serious point of view here for, for Wisconsin, is the fact that not only has every single person in the country overranked Wisconsin, myself included, Wisconsin right now may not even be a tournament team. Let's go to the resume here because I believe Net actually just updated uh, not too long ago. So I'm trying to really pull this sucker up and my computer has given me an absolute re rejection. <laughs> so to put it lightly, uh, stand by here, folks. But... When I pull this up, analytically, Wisconsin's out of the top 64 in Kempon. That, that is just absolutely putrid. My computer's starting to respond a little bit. It's going to take a little bit of time to pull up the net. But what I can say is, and I can actually pull up, I did print off something as of the Saturday numbers, so games really before. Here we go. I've got some pulled up here. Very similar numbers. But what I can tell you is, a game, a loss for Wisconsin that was quad two, just updated tonight in the quad three. Ooh. See that? So you got that going against them. Net, Wisconsin is 67th. Kempom, 67th. Only analytic that considers Wisconsin a tournament team is the KPI at 32, and also the strength of record at 33. Something out of conference, non conference data schedule is also very good. But the fact of the matter is, within the quadrants, Wisconsin 2 and 3 in Q1. 3 and 1 in Q2 is great, but you had that Q3 loss. And you combine all these analytics. And what we've seen from the committee is 
a low net ranking kills you. And Wisconsin right now, at 11-5, they have a huge hole that they have to dig themselves out of. And it's not like I'm very confident in them either. I mean, you look at their game on Tuesday against Penn State. Bracketologist.com actually has a brand new tool that I think was released in the last couple weeks or so, which I actually really like, where it gives a really clear game breakdown based on the resume, which is which I really appreciate. Looking through it for prepping the show, I was amazed. Wisconsin and Penn State, when you look at the four common opponents, Penn State has beaten two of the opponents Wisconsin has lost to. Illinois and Indiana. In the last, for Wisconsin, the last two Saturdays. I mean, we're looking at it right now to where this is no coincidence where Wisconsin without Tyler Wall is an NIT team. I mean, without Tyler Wall, Wisconsin's a fraud. I mean, I mean that's, the, that's about as point blank as I can put it. This Wisconsin team is in a huge state of trouble despite the 11-5 record and despite what's coming up for them. Wisconsin needs Q1 wins right now. And not only Q1 wins, they got to convince the analytics that they are a quality team because that net rank, as we've seen, is of critical importance to the committee over the last three tournaments, particularly in the last two tournaments. So you got to get all the wins you can get. You have a Q2 game against Penn State, which is fine, but four Q1s, particularly the next two, at Northwestern, at Maryland. Two quality road games, and I get it's tough to win on the road. You gotta find a way to pick at least one of those up, if not both of them, from Wisconsin. So, I mean, the net rank is so much part of that. But when you have the Q3 loss already in tow, that was the game against Wake Forest at home. And has dropped out of Q2 into Q3. So that's a borderline game that Wisconsin fans need to root for Wake Forest going forward. You need to find a way to take care of business against teams that you probably should be beating. But at this point, who can we consider that Wisconsin should be beating? I don't know at this point. Without Tyler Wall, Wisconsin's a mess. Absolutely. I mean, just the, the, the degree that this team has fallen off uh, since it's, 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 you, I don't know where they have fallen to because, you know, they've played these three teams um, in Illinois, Indiana, Michigan State, and they lost all three. They have Penn State next. It, you really just have to see how far they can fall. How long does it take until they get a win is the first thing you have to figure out until you figure out, okay, now who can they start to beat? It's just, it's looking like a disaster scenario right now. Um, you're struggling to find, you know, a, 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 a replacement, I guess, um, to kind of take on that, that load for your team. It's looking different every single game, and it, every single game it hasn't been working for them. It's, it's looking very, very bleak right now. And, you know, looking at their upcoming schedule, it's not a lot of great teams that you can prove yourself against because, you know, you are you have games against Penn State, Northwestern, a Maryland team that's really taken a, a downfall in the recent parts of the season. You don't have another currently, as of right now, ranked matchup until Purdue in your second-to-last game of the season. I mean, you have teams like Iowa, teams like Rutgers, who have been performing pretty well sometimes in this season, but it's... It's not. It's looking bleak for them. It's the the way that they have to be able to prove to the analytics. It, it the there's not a lot of lot not a lot of margin for error. The teams that they should beat, they absolutely have to beat. They have to do it by double digits. They have to have per, a profess, uh, impressive performance against Purdue later on in the season, and they need it's it it, it requires double digit wins from from here as far as the eye can see. Yeah, and that's one of the things I've had a big concern about Arizona State to get us to us back here at home at the Cronk High School at ASU is that the analytics aren't necessarily fond of you. And ASU has fixed that, especially that win against Oregon. But Wisconsin, they're being favored a lot more by the bracketologists, partly because of the win-loss record and they're actually really solid performance against Q1 and 2 for a bubble team. But all the analytics say we got to reconsider Wisconsin here. You know, like, 
they may be a, a tournament team right now, but they're falling like a cliff. And 69th in net, outside of the top 60 in net, that typically is a downfall for so many bubble teams. And Wisconsin's got to find a way to fix that, because if they don't, I mean, things could go south in a hurry. And part of that could be about Tyler Wall. When he comes back, could this Wisconsin team get fixed? I don't know, but if he's going to be out for an extended amount of time, are you going to be able to fix that with that wall? Because if you're not going to do that, Wisconsin's in big trouble. They need to realize that. Our final major segment here on the Bonanza this week, Alabama. This is a team that just continues to impress every single game. The 15-point win against what is now a struggling Arkansas team, that's one thing. The Saturday game, 106-66 against LSU. I mean, this game was complete dominance from start to finish. I mean, it's uh, every single thing that could have went right, went right for Alabama. Brandon Miller, he has continued to impress, and he is a clear freshman of the year candidate, which is how well he plays on a night-to-night basis. Mark Sears, that pickup from the portal has been so valuable for Alabama. Just the way they've been able to use him and the way he's performed. I mean, he's been brilliant. A lot of times that mid-major to power conference jump is, is a tough one. But Mark Sears has been excellent. And they just have this quick tempo on offense that has allowed them to really thrive at this point. I mean, the biggest part of the segment is what Alabama is in the elite. And the two losses they have make it really hard to make that case for, for number one. But you look at what Alabama has done, and you look at the two losses. I mean, you're looking at a collection of losses for a two-loss team that is up there amongst the most difficult games. UConn, Gonzaga, both on neutral floors. This is one of the best teams in the country. And you look at their win. I mean, Arkansas, they beat Houston on the road, for crying out loud. Michigan State on a neutral floor. That's looking like it's going to be a decent win. Memphis at home. That might hold some weight. Don't know if it'll be necessarily Q1, but it'll hold some weight. If Kentucky starts to really get back in form like they suggest they are against Tennessee, that win's also going to be a huge one for, for Alabama. All the metrics say they're, they're around that number four team in the country, but you look deeper into this team, they're operating like the top team in the country right now. It's just the way they're performing on a nightly basis. Oh, absolutely. I want to touch a little bit on that Mark Sears performance against Arkansas absolutely brilliant i mean he came up throughout the game you know his 26 points he came up clutch late i mean he okay wow okay my wi-fi just went up so i can't give you exact Ooh, instances that's rough um let me help you out okay there. oh there we go we got it we <laughs> got it go. yeah um, I mean, okay never point. mind uh, oh, okay yeah 26 points dive was perfect from the free throw line on 10 attempts four rebounds three assists three steals i mean i don't think you'd ask for much more than that Absolutely. I mean, it just seemed like every time you needed Mark Sears to come up clutch, Mark Sears was there. I mean, even down to taking the last four free throws uh, for the team in that, you know, in that stretch um, where they really separated themselves from Arkansas in the in the second half. I mean, this was a tie ball game, mind you, at halftime. You know, you look at that 15 point margin. And you think, oh, this wasn't close. No, it wasn't close because of the impact that, you know, Mark Sears. Also, a big shout out, Brandon Miller. He's been balling out rookie council. But Mark Sears in this game especially has balled out. Now, usually my my go-to guy for Alabama this year has been Brandon Miller. He's my favorite player in one of my favorite players in the country right now. My favorite freshman in the country. Um, but... Mark Sears comes up big in so many games. Um, there's been... Okay, well, I can't pull up instant instances oh, once again because my Wi-Fi. Ugh. But, I mean, he's averaging 15 points on the season. And it seems like at, like once a week he goes off for 20 and leads Alabama to a big win. I mean, such a great, great player. I'm just talking about this Arkansas performance. There's also the LSU performance where Alabama put up 106. That's one that Mark Sears put up 12 in, but Brandon Miller goes on and puts up 31 points. I mean, it's it's just the perfect tandem here. Every time one needs a little bit of support, the other one has them, and it's great. It's my favorite duo to watch in the country. And, you know, they have other great players on their team. You know, they, they do have Ricky Council. Um, he's, he's come up pretty big sometimes this year, but... Just this duo here of Mark Sears and Brandon Miller, it is, it's must-watch. It's must-see TV. 
Yeah, and that, that game against Arkansas, very much in doubt. Early second half, 13-2 run, and then Arkansas creased back into it, and then the kill shot, 13-0 run, late second half, that's it, lights out. I mean, Alabama closing games, oh my. I mean, they didn't need to close the game against LSU necessarily because they just blew them out of the water. I mean, the win probability is a flat line. I mean, that's how dominant that game was at every single level. And it's not like the shape percentage to agree with us. Alabama took 54 shots from three. They made 20 of them, which you could say they shot way too many threes, and I don't blame you for that. I mean, 54 threes, oh my God, what are we doing here? But they have that confidence that they know that we'll knock them down. We can just, just completely kill them. And that's what they did, grabbing 45% of possible offensive rebounds, doing a good job themselves in the defensive end of that, 19 assists to 8 turnovers, 7 blocks, 7 steals. Every single stat, they obliterated LSU. And I mean obliterated LSU. I mean, and that's a sign of a, of a championship team. When you're able to obliterate teams like that, even against Kentucky, wasn't close. And I mean wasn't close. 78-52 back last Saturday the 7th. And again, Brent Miller and Sears were clicking on all cylinders. And you look at the couple of SEC games before that. 22-point win at home against Ole Miss. 11-point win the road against Mississippi State. They just know how to win ball games and close these things out and not give a single hope to their opponent at all. I mean, that's that's what championship teams do. When you have that closing ability to completely take control and say, forget it, guys. We're taking over. Pack up your stuff. Get out of here. Even they go on the road, they have that mindset. It is truly unbelievable what this Alabama team was able to do. And the, the roster composition is brilliant. Miller's been brilliant. But you look at some of these other guys, too, like a, like a Javon Quinterly. His ability to say, you know what? Brandon Miller's better than me. I get that. I'm still going to operate well. Six man. He's put up 10 points at the least in three of the last four games. He has been a significant contributor. I mean, guys like that, when you have a guy like Javon Quinley on the bench, and he's still producing, there is no limit to where Alabama can go this year. None. I mean, they are absolutely phenomenal. Now, with that being said, over the course of Sunday, news broke, and it was really upsetting news, quite frankly, Darius Miles being charged with capital murder. And we're not going to speculate anything. That would be completely inappropriate for us. All we can really do is send prayers to the victim's family and really just hope that the situation kind of takes care of itself. We're not going to speculate on anything with that. It's really unfortunate news. I mean, but you look at the grand scheme of things, it's not like Miles was a significant contributor himself. So we'll see if perhaps that upsets the internal chemistry. Uh, but again, speculating on that will be completely inappropriate. The point of the story here of Alabama is we'll see if that upsets things, but right now they're at, they're a championship team. Absolutely, and I, I if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure Miles was already out for the season with an ankle injury. Yeah, they, I, that yeah. could have been the the wrong. Okay, yeah. Yeah, they said um, ankle injury. Then a few days later, oh, he's charged with capital murder. Oops. There we go. Yeah, that was yikes. But this is a <laughs> this is a very solid roster. A roster with. Without Ricky Council, that was a mis misspeak. I was looking at the Arkansas yeah, roster, and he was still brilliant. But, I mean, he was brilliant yeah. in that game. But you know, this is a this is a deep roster with a great duo, a great dynamic duo here with Miller and Sears to, to kind of cap it off. This is this is a national national. Uh, I don't even I don't even know how to describe it. This is they're a, a one seed. There, this is a one seed. One that's that's the best way to that's put it. it. <laughs> this is a prime contender for the national championship this this is as, as one of the teams that's as good as it gets they were probably like eighth or ninth in in terms of being favored um by vegas to to go to the national championship before the season um pretty high expectations they've absolutely gone over those expectations it's but it's been great to watch this year yeah and that, and that breaks the perfect sort of metaphor to 
what we're going to get into now, my top 25 rankings for this week. I haven't done this in a while because of some late games in the calendar. Uh, but we have the opportunity since absolutely nobody wants to face the NFL playoffs, which, of course, complete justification that we're going to be able to go ahead and do this, and it's going to be a approach of full 36. Uh, and again, anything outside of 25 should be absolutely taken with a grain of salt because at, when you get to that point, for me personally, it becomes more of an order of merit. And I think I've said this before, that anything out of 25 really gives you an order of merit type deal, which is important, and especially in this particular week, because you had all four of the entries in that top 31. And the two teams that were in that 31 didn't get in the 25, they lost this week. So again, order of merit there outside of 25, very, very important. And like I said earlier, you, that top tier of Kansas, Houston, Purdue, Alabama, it's becoming more of a breakaway top four, in my opinion. Like, you cannot put these teams outside of the four. They're just that good, every single team. Using, like I said also earlier, UCLA, Xavier, Texas are knocking on the door in that order, five, six, and seven for me. And again, Texas, I have previously had them below Virginia as there's some reconsideration of the resume and performance there. Virginia nine, Gonzaga eight. Again, they won both their games. And the, for me, I'm not penalizing them too much for a close game of BYU because that's a ridiculously tough play to play at. I mean, the Big 12 should take some notes as to how to play a BYU because it is so tough to do that. And Gonzaga, once again, found that out. Typically, those Gonzaga at BYU games are exceptionally good. So again, Big 12, take some notes how to play in Provo. Very, very difficult to do so. Tennessee falls to 10. Still further a very quality team. It's a really bad offensive night. It's got all that stuff that sets him up further things to come. And then from here, it's it's a mess. I mean, it's a it's an absolutely it's it's a mess. And we're looking at a lot of one-on-one teams who are staying or making some significant jumps. TCU at 11. Arizona falls to 12. Iowa State jumps up for me to 13. UConn, big drop to 14. Could have dropped them further, decided against that. Kansas State, Miami, and I have Marquette at 17. And I get that's going to be a... I'm hoping it's not an extreme take compared to the AP Top 25. But I have a really bad feeling it could be. Uh, but Marquette, they played brilliant, and they deserve to be a Top 20 team. I mean... Any voter, in my opinion, does not put Marquette in the top 20 just didn't watch their games this week at all. It wasn't just the UConn game. Their loss against Xavier that we discussed was an incredibly close game, incredibly thrilling game, one that Marquette could have easily won. They are in the driver's seat for a good amount of that first half and going into the second half. They are in the driver's seat, which not many teams will achieve at the Cintas Center. Arbor at 18, only because they won their games. I mean, we're at the point now where within this money mess, you take care of business, you're going to rise big time, especially in this 15 through 25. You take care of business, you're going to win your games. Baylor did that, they're at 19 for me this week, we're turning in my top 25, and they will be ranked that high, I feel like, around 19 to 22 at the very bitter minimum. So that's what happens when you win two games in the Big 12, after you were the first team out. You're going to get back in and make a big splash. St. Mary's. At 20, again, they're taking care of business. They took a thrill, thrashed San Francisco, I should say. And remember San Francisco. We both remember mm-hmm. those ASU students. Oh, yeah. That was a rough one for, for the Sun Devils. Big, impressive game for St. Mary's there. Clemson jumps in at 21. ACC leader, undefeated in ACC play. Comparing them to Providence, who was at my 22 spot this week. That makes a big, significant deal. And, and, and the sort of later judgment, that, that ended up being the deciding factor there for me. Florida Atlantic, we talked a lot on the after party last week as to whether or not FAU, would they get that national respect? The time is now. The game against North Texas they put at home was a really close game. As I suspected it was, I'm sure you suspected that too, because North Texas, they are also a darn good ball club. But FAU, the energy is there in the 3,000-seat arena, able to just win that at the end. And when you're a mid-major in College USA, when you have those good teams, you got to survive them. Just survive them. They survived FIU earlier in the week, who had also been a really good team. They're checking off every single box, particularly in the predictive metrics. Rank FAU, and you got to do it right now, because they are really, really good. And they go above Charleston, who remains in my top 25 out of 24, 
mainly because of just how well the predictive metrics view them. We're at a point now to where you compare FAU and you compare Charleston, they both have that signature win against a power conference opponent. FAU did theirs on the road against Florida. Charleston did theirs in a crazy environment in the Charleston Classic. It's something to consider when you look at these teams. And then Illinois pops back into my 25 at that final spot. North Carolina, Arkansas, Missouri, Rutgers, San Diego State, Arizona State, the first six out on my 25 this week. Again, it's a moneyed mess right there. And, and so many teams at one and one. I mean, you look at a team like Iowa State, that was one of the more impressive one and ones I've seen. They jumped more spots than Marquette did at that one and one spot for me because of the way they played at Kansas. That was a really significant game for them. Uh, and you took away a loss, fine. It's Kansas. They're by number one. They will most likely be the AP number two still. Fine. I get it. But the way they thrashed Texas Tech, not only is Texas Tech slipping into irrelevancy in the Big 12, I mean, that's an impressive performance from Iowa State. You don't do that in the Big 12 most often. You don't see that most often in the Big 12. So for them to do that there, I found that that was really, really impressive. And the same thing with TCU. They jumped three in my rankings from week to week, despite being in one and one. Let's just say it, they choked at Texas. They took that game. They should have won that game. But to come back and beat the Kansas State team that had all the hype going for it and actually didn't really drop much for me. I mean, at all. I mean, I still think Kansas State's a really darn good team. Really impressed from TCU. And I'm sure people have a lot of gripes in the week-to-week movement in particular, and I understand that completely. But right now, I view that 11 to particularly, well, just pinpointed at 22, that's a muddied mess. I mean, you could match up any one of, between my ranking of 11 TCU to 22, my ranking of Providence, match up any of those teams, you will get different results over head-to-head. I mean, it's just that simple for me. And I'll give you the final thoughts on that. I mean, it, it's a mess, and it's just really hard to rank, in particular, that section of the national picture. Absolutely. Just a, a couple of notes on this one. Uh, I really, really like the St. Mary's team. You talk about that game against USF. This is a USF team that blew Arizona State out of the water in late December. This is a USF team that had a great, great battle against Gonzaga just a couple weeks ago. And the way St. Mary's goes into San Francisco, beats them 78-61, to that is such an impressive, impressive performance. St. Mary's is a great analytical team, and I was only able to boost them even more. I mean, they sit number eight now in Kempom, number eight now in, in the net. I mean, just a great week for St. Mary's. You know, I... I personally think you could push them maybe a couple more spots up, maybe into the top 18 for that. But like you said, it's such a, a conglomerate of great teams in that 11 to 22 range that you could honestly say that for any team. But I, I, I'm just backing St. Mary's here. Um, love that team. I think Arizona, I, I think they'll be able to kind of hope maybe figure out some of their backcourt issues if they can figure out is it kill it kill it kylan boswell starting if that can fix it this week will be very very important they can either jump back up into the top nine if they can perform well against usc and ucla or it could be a disaster week where they maybe even fall to below 17 or 18 this is going to be very very telling for this U of A school. Yeah, for sure. And I could even be a little bit high on Arizona at this point at 12, man. It could take a really mm-hmm. steep drop, particularly that game against Oregon. But right now, to me, you can't really do too much more with just how muddy the national picture is. So many teams taking one-and-one results. I mean, just Saturday alone, so many ranked teams dropping their games. And in some cases, like Wisconsin, we talked about, and even Arkansas, the 13-point loss at Vanderbilt, they are convincing losses. And it's just really hard right now to just figure out that section in the country. But what I will say, that top 10 is looking a lot cleaner than it was, in my opinion, a week ago. That's going to wrap things up for our show. Wednesday morning, tune in for the after party. We're getting a little bit bubbly in the after party. And it's going to be a major theme going into the next several weeks. We're talking the American, the Mountain West, and also Penn State. What do they have to do to raise their stock going into the month of February? We'll talk about all of that on the After Party Wednesday morning. And next week, 
We're pretty sure it's going to happen. We'll be live again on Blaze Radio and BlazeRadioOnline.com. So stay tuned to our social channels at College Bonanza for that official announcement. We're hoping to make it in the next few days. For Nick Keneally, I've been Nicholas Hodel. Wishing you a very good week. And we'll catch you hopefully live. We're pretty sure of it next week. And we'll catch it for sure Wednesday morning on your particular podcast platform right here for the After Party. Have a good week, everyone.